Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. to America's Heroes Group, this time with a great partner, someone we like to introduce onto our show, first time on this show, and also branching out in a different part of our country, New Mexico. The Mexico Par- Department of Veterans Services is with us today. July is American Diabetes and National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. Today is Saturday, July 30th, 2022. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Claiborne, Army National Guard veteran co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have a new partner, Sonia L. Smith. She is a Desert Shield, Desert Storm, U.S. Air Force Reservist, veteran, first black appointed cabinet secretary of for the New Mexico Department of Veteran Services, and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And we have give you a, a big applause for being on our show for your accomplishments. And a little bit more about, about Sonia. She was appointed the 5th New Mexico Department of Veterans Services Cabinet Secretary in October of 2020. She was unanimously confirmed by the Senate, the State Senate, in February 2021 and is the first black person, as we mentioned, appointed to this position. She is a, she's a secretary overseeing several agencies, including Veterans Field Services, State Benefits, Veterans Cemeteries and Memorials, Health Care, and also Tribal and Playable Liaisons. And she's a proud graduate of HCBU. Sonia, how are you doing today? I am doing super fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. This is a wonderful honor. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Pleasure's all ours. So tell us, what are some of the things you want to talk about on the, when it pertains to the New Mexico Department of Veterans Services, the programs they offer? What are some of the challenges that are in your neck of the woods? We talked a lot about what's going on in L.A. We talked about stuff that's in Indiana. We talked about stuff here in Illinois. All over the country, mm-hmm. this is the first time we're really kind of getting into your state of New Mexico. Yeah, so let's start with that. New Mexico is um, probably not like any other state uh, where we are very proud of what we've been able to do here in New Mexico. We have approximately 150,000 veterans that we serve, including their families. And we have one job, and that is to take care of those folks. Our motto here is that every day is Veterans Day here in New Mexico, and everything that we do goes towards supporting that. Um, You also mentioned that I am the first black person to be appointed to this position, so I don't take that lightly. I was completely humbled when Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham um, tapped me for this role, and it has been a blessing ever since. We've been able to incorporate some new programs. You mentioned uh, that we oversee the tribal liaison. When I came on board, we had a person who was doing that part-time. So I promoted her to a full-time position because we don't want any of our veterans left behind. And we do have a significant demographic here of our Native Americans. But we also know that there are opportunities where we needed to improve. So that's why I wanted to make sure that we had someone who was specifically doing that. We also had a pretty dormant women veterans program. 
And as you can imagine, being a veteran, I was very concerned about that. So I was able to hire someone, and she hit the ground running. We've had listening sessions um, with our partners on the federal VA side, and we just had our first very successful Women's Veterans Conference. So that program is also growing. And because we are a rural state, we have challenges. So getting to medical appointments and making sure that veterans don't miss these appointments, we have been very fortunate to receive a highly rural transportation grant that helps veterans get to these appointments. So I can go on and on, as you can imagine, about what we're doing here in New Mexico. So no problem. That's good to hear. (laughs) That's good. That's great to hear. I think I'm glad you kind of brought those things up because particularly with Native Americans, in this country, people don't realize the contributions, the sacrifices. Native Americans have the highest percentage of their population or culture that joined the military, the most loyal yeah. to this country. If anybody was loyal to the military and, and dedicated to uh, to serving in the military, it's the Native American mm-hmm. community, and people don't realize that. But the thing Absolutely, of it is, and New Mexico yeah. has been first in that. I mean, we have been been first and just really stepping forward Mm -hmm. so the history here is is very rich it's very rich i uh, moved out here about nine years ago i'm originally from norfolk virginia which is a a a navy town for those of you all who who have served but i decided that i wanted to go into the air force uh, because i needed that assistance to help finish my undergraduate degree and as you mentioned i am a proud proud graduate of hbcu norfolk state university but needless to say, nine years ago when I moved here, I had no idea that I would be blessed to be in this position to, to serve and to give back to our veteran community. So I'm forever grateful for that. You mentioned some of the challenges that, that uh, you face in your, in your neck of the woods. So what are some of those challenges, particularly being in a rural area? Um, how, how does a person get from a, a remote area to the VA if they're a veteran? Well, we have partners with the different American Legion posts, the VFWs and the DAVs. They step up, but they were really impacted by the challenges that the pandemic presented. As you know, a lot of these organizations are volunteer organizations. So when we weren't able to use them, we really relied heavily on that highly rural transportation grant that we received. We also had to get really creative, and by that I mean we had to ask for more more volunteers to help us step up. We work very closely with our partners at the VA Medical Center here. We also have, I think it's 13 uh, community-based outreach clinics or CBOX around the state, which help veterans continue to get that primary care that they need. Also, Telemedicine has played a tremendous part, but we know that that could be challenging, particularly in rural areas when bandwidth and broadband might be a problem. So we're very fortunate that our legislatures, both on the federal and state side, recognize this, and they're taking steps to make adjustments to that. Living in a rural area is very challenging, but it's not insurmountable. Mm -hmm. I believe that we'll, we'll be able to overcome this. I think it's important you mentioned that that some of the specific challenges to New Mexico, specifically talking about, like, Internet access, like things we take for granted in other more populated states and populated areas. Internet access is critical if you're trying to perform telemedicine or conduct telemedicine. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I can't imagine if you're 
in the middle of an, a critical appointment with your provider and for whatever reason that that communication is stopped or you can't ever access telemedicine because there is no opportunity there there's no bandwidth there's no broadband in your area but you need that critical appointment and we saw that more and more particularly during the last couple of years because mental health trying to have a good mental health we all kind of i think went through something uh, with that it was very critical that we were able to stand in the gap and help our veterans uh, get to these vital appointments so yeah we're definitely working on that here do you see native americans being more um, being receptive and also being responsive to the outreach that you're doing yes as a matter of fact um, again i'm very proud we have been able to hold different collaboratives with the different Pueblos. We have 19 Pueblos out here and uh, different uh, Native American um, reservations. And we also have a very good partnership with the Navajo Nation here. We were able to underwrite some of the uh, critical VSO training, the Veteran Service Officer training that they uh, are currently using now, and they have been very appreciative of that. So it's been a great template for us to take to some of the other uh, Pueblos and other tribal areas. How many facilities do you have? Um, it's like actual VA hospitals in New Mexico. We have um, one veteran uh, VA medical center here in Albuquerque. And as I mentioned, we have the CBOX, the Community-Based Outreach Clinic. We have about 13 of those across the state. And, of course, they are managed by the Veterans Administration. Wow. We are uh, wonderful partners uh, with them. You know, we're a state organization. They're a federal organization. But that doesn't really matter to the veteran community. They want a seamless approach to how we help them and their families. So we work very well together. But do you see a lot of people... I'm, I still can't wrap my head around. You have one VA medical center in the state of New Mexico, like one in the whole state. Mm-hmm. And, right, exactly, but, but yeah. Then, uh-huh. so, so do you see a lot of uh, veterans using private medicine or going to um, some of those programs that are in the VA that are allowing people to use or to choose any doctor they want in the, in the civilian world? I think it's a combination of things. I think we also have to keep in mind that not every veteran is eligible to use the VA medical system. Mm-hmm. You know, there are certain criteria that you have to uh, meet before you can use those. But we're also very fortunate to have our state um, close enough where veterans who are down in the southern part of the state, they can go over to El Paso. It's just a matter of a few miles where they can use the VA medical center in El Paso. And then there's another VA medical center that they're able to use on the more eastern side of the state. So there are other options, and we're just fortunate that we're able to have these veterans um, have those options. And then tell us a little bit because I know about this process because I know that there is a there is a difference between, like you can't just, a veteran can't just go to any VA medical center in the country. So if you're vacationing, for example, if you're from Illinois and you vacation in Nebraska, you can't just walk into the Nebraska VA medical center and say, hey, I'm here, I want to get, you know, some, some uh, get my prescriptions refilled. What is the process of, of getting enrolled into a facility, and then how does that work within your region? Well, I think it's probably best 
to really talk to a veteran service officer. I'm just going to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Those ins and outs are really kind of intricate, mm-hmm. and a veteran service officer will be able to explain them a lot clearer, and I don't want to get anybody confused. But what's also key is that, yes, you can go into another facility for assistance, particularly around mental health. Regardless if you are eligible or not, the VA stands ready to help you receive the help that you need. I mean, at the end of the day, veterans deserve the care that the nation has promised them. And that's what I see happening. We are trying to do our best to make sure that we are creating avenues for our veterans to to get the help that they need. Hmm. And then, so when you look at your military career, you were in Desert Storm and you were in Operation Desert Shield. When you look at your military career, how has that prepared you for the challenges you face today, and particularly being the first black female in a position that you're in, um, being in a place like New Mexico? Um, what are some of those challenges, and how has your military experience prepared you for that? Well, I think as in, you lead, you lead. I think you can say that this has prepared you and that has prepared you. And I'm sure that helps in a lot of ways. Being a leader, in my opinion, means being able to tackle the day ins and day out of situation. Yes, you have foundational experiences, but... I think it's a combination of things, Mm -hmm. you know, because I don't have all the answers all the time. I'm very fortunate to have a a, a very good group of people who who counsel me and help me when I when I have questions. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just basically you're a soldier for what I've heard. Everything you told me just now, it says you're basically a soldier that keeps on moving. In the in the Air Force, we're called airmen. So let's yeah, be right. clear about that. Right. I'm well, an airman. Yeah, but I'm, I'm an, an airman. Guy, so I call everybody soldiers. So. <laughs> uh-huh. so, yeah, I'm an airman. And when I went in, you know, I was certainly I was looking for opportunities to help my career and, again, to help me achieve my, my education. Mm-hmm. And when I look back years, years, years later, I'm very fortunate because the friendships that I was able to forge then, I still have now. And I'm very grateful for that. And I was enlisted. So I think that kind of helps me have a a different perspective, too, as I am talking to my team or talking to other veterans. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with being an officer. We certainly appreciate them. But I think my perspective at times is maybe a, a little different because of the how I had to deal with things and how I had to navigate through things. So, and certainly that helped me in the corporate world, you know, being prepared, uh, public speaking, critical thinking, troubleshooting, all of those things are still very critical. And I think that helps to make a good leader and a manager, because at times you have to know how to do both. Mm-hmm. Where, so where do you want to take the New Mexico VA system? So at the, part, at the department that you control, what's your vision for the near term? I really appreciate that question because there is so much opportunity out here. Anything that is a potential speed bump or roadblock, 
I want to come up with solutions to help remove those. I don't want any barriers to taking care of our veterans. And so that means that we need to really be where the veterans are. I have really restructured our agency so that we're more accessible and that we are um, out there listening more than coming back and having those inform our decisions. We stay very engaged with our state leadership. And needless to say, our governor has been just really stellar in making sure that I have what I need, the tools and resources to take care of our veterans. So, um, and then also, too, talking to my peers, my peers uh, that run other state agencies. You know, we talk a lot. I get best practices. I share best practices. And that has been really helpful as well. So so you touched on something that I was always curious about, and that is how the structure of the VA system really works from the federal level to the state level. Because you mentioned, like, talking mm-hmm. to other people around the country and, and seeing how their state programs run. But first question is, if there is – if, if, if for the places you've looked at and studied and from the information that you have, what are some of the better or some of the best run or best uh, functioning uh, VA systems statewide? Like which states would you say, okay, this is a good place to model or take some um, information from to help this state become better? New Mexico. I'm going to talk about New Mexico. <laughs> I'm going to talk about New Mexico. Nothing against any of the other states. Trust me. We all have our own challenges. Mm-hmm. We all have our own challenges, but the common denominator is we're here to serve our veterans. But what period. states have you learned the most from? Uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to have um, Arizona. You know, who is a, a good, a good uh, partner in uh, collaborating ideas. Also, uh, Michigan is good too, and Nevada has been great too. Ne- Nevada has a really strong training program that we've been able to to kind of borrow some ideas from. I think that's an important question to ask because we have so many different VA systems uh, that we talk to in our show. So, you know, then mm-hmm. there's lots of people that are watching this. They're going to be watching this a year from now, five years from now on YouTube or America's, AmericasHD.org or wherever. You know, that's, mm-hmm. of, that's good information for us to kind of get an idea about, you know, what works, what doesn't work. But then also my question is, you know, so the, at the federal level, how much um, – how much structure or how much leadership do you get from the federal level on how to administer down to the state level? Are the states more autonomous um, or, are they, or is the federal level, is the federal side of things kind of giving you some kind of uh, framework or structure to, to follow? No, there, there are, there are our peers in, okay. in a sense there. We do receive some federal funding again from our, our transportation grant. We have our, Veterans Business Outreach Clinic. Uh, so we do receive some federal money. Also, for uh, we've received some money for our state veterans cemeteries. But uh, let's be clear, they don't influence. You know, this is a state matter. What I do appreciate about our relationship is that we meet monthly. So I have monthly conversations with the director of state ben- of the uh, benefits. I also have monthly conversations with the director who runs the medical center. Then this way, we can all be on the same page, and if something comes about, we can have a conversation about it and work collegially to to come up with a solution. So I enjoy a very good relationship with my partners out here. 
Hmm. My last question, so we're running out of time. We've got about a minute and a half left. My last question is, what do you enjoy most about your job? It doesn't feel like a job. I feel like I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing at this stage in my life. It doesn't feel like work. It feels like um, giving back for uh, to a community that has taken very good care of me and my family. So it doesn't feel like work to me at all. I feel honored and privileged to be in this position. And those are famous words, famous last words from Sonia L. Smith, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, U.S. Air Force Reservist veteran, first a black appointed cabinet secretary for New Mexico Department of Veterans Services and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Authority Incorporated. Once again, we welcome you to America's Heroes Group, our talk show welcomes you. We'd love to have more conversations with you and look forward to having some great conversations in the future. Thank you so very much for the opportunity. I, I appreciate it. This is Sean Claiborne. We'll be right back. America's Heroes Group. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.